Hello and welcome to the Gilmore Ball Z bonus episodes, where because of your generous contributions to the Gohan and Rory Fund, we watched BoJack Unbound. It was yeah. a, It was a time. What was this movie? I'm not sure. I'm Grant. I'm Paige. And I think the like motto of the Gohan and Rory Fund is what was this movie? Uh, especially when it comes to the Dragon Ball movies. Um, yeah, so you asked what was this movie. Unfortunately, that duty falls to you. Paige, get, tell the folks at home, <laughs> what happened in the Dragon Ball Z movie Bojack Unbound? Yeah, so just to clarify, uh, Bojack is not a depressed horse in this. Bojack is a, a space alien that the Dragon Ball Z fighters have to fight. Um, so in Bojack Unbound... A very rich man named Excess Cash. Uh, uh, that's not a name. Excess is not a name. Anyway, uh, Excess Cash and his son Monty uh, have decided to start a major tournament. The idea behind it is that it's Monty's birthday, and according to his psychiatrist who approved this, uh, which was a weird throwaway line, they have gotten all of the greatest fighters on Earth to fight some intergalactic enemies for the first intergalactic tournament Earth has ever seen. At least that's how it's sold. So the first part of this movie, like for a long bit of this movie, it's just explaining the tournament and then the first part of the tournament where all the Z fighters have gathered and go into, you know, from the opening bit to the semifinals to see who will fight The intergalactic enemies and then Mr. Satan, because these tournaments always end with Mr. Satan. So all of our Z fighters who are in it, you know, Tien, Piccolo, Yamcha, not Yamcha, not Yamcha, Krillin, Gohan, Trunks, were there more? Um, that was basically it. Yeah, all go into the next round to the top eight. There are a couple of other Earthlings that get through, but... Uh, they get in and they're all paired up. And so we have a little bit of time where they're in paired up fights. Krillin actually beats Piccolo because Piccolo decides this is stupid and leaves. Why Piccolo was in this in the first place, I'm not sure. But he decides this is stupid and leaves. So he wins. Trunks wins. Obviously, Gohan wins their fights. And then they go on to the top four go to through different tunnels that lead them to different pre-existing areas, and they have to fight an intergalactic enemy there, and then they're supposed to take a lift back, and whoever gets there first after taking their lift will be able to take on Mr. Satan. So obviously this entire time Mr. Satan's doing his Mr. Satan bit, where he's like, oh no, it's the guys who fought Cell, I'm gonna get out of here, what's gonna happen? Ah, And tries to hide. Yeah, the whole first half of this movie is just kind of the last season of DBZ Kai, but with a different setting. Right, and no Goku. Because uh, yeah, Goku's still like, dead. Like, Piccolo forfeits a battle. Mr. Uh, Satan runs and hides and pretends to be sick. And then some weirdos show up and derail the right. tournament. Uh, so in the steps, some weirdos show up and derail the tournament. It sounds like, if I understood correctly, the intergalactic fighters weren't actually intergalactic fighters. They were just kind of like... WWE guys who's all of them their personas are galactic fighters they weren't actual space aliens um yeah the the agent guy says like wait a minute these aren't the guys I booked these aliens are real so the idea was that excess cash was just putting on this tournament for his son and his son wanted space aliens so his son gets space aliens 
Yeah, so he just hired some fighters to pretend to be space aliens and wear rubber suits. Which is suits. cute. Um, probably not helpful to fighting wearing a rubber suit, but cute. Sorry, so when they get there, all of the fighters, like the guys who have gotten in rubber suits, have been brutally murdered. And the one guy who makes it through to the second round but isn't a Z fighter is also brutally murdered. There is a lot of killing at this stage in the movie because all of the intergalactic fighters uh, in quote marks have been replaced by intergalactic fighters not in quote marks. A guy named Bojack and his troop of... I wouldn't say men, because there is actually a woman, but his his crew, his minions. Um, I don't know if the word pirates ever actually said in this movie. I didn't notice it. No, but they definitely have a piratey vibe. They have a piratey vibe, and I've always been told that Bojack was a pirate, but they're never called pirates. They're never, like, given any... Like, they don't have a ship. They don't seem to pillage. Like, there's not really... The concept of Bojack as a space pirate might actually originate from Team Four Star. Let me do a quick Google yeah, no, go on if there's anything more to it than that. But I think the idea of Bojack being a pirate is just that he just has that kind of look. Yeah, he has that look, but he doesn't do anything piratey. So yeah, it doesn't look like there's really any uh, precedent to him being a pirate in his background. Yeah, no, they're just uh, they're just kind of roving genociders yeah which is really disappointing because this had been described to me as like the dragon ball pirate movie so i was all here for a yo ho ho space like spaceship that looks like an old you know tall ship maybe some grog uh somebody walking the plank like i was here for all the looking for treasure i was here for all the piratey stuff there is no piratey stuff this is just another generic genocidal villain he doesn't even have some sort of motivation he's not trying to get perfect he's not trying to take over planets he's just here to wreck some stuff but they don't really even explain that so it's not even like he's a villain who just enjoys destruction like boo He's just kind of there as a villain for some reason. Uh, We get the background from King Kai, who's hanging out, like, dead King Kai is hanging out with dead Goku, uh, that apparently Bojack is someone who King Kai and the other Kais fought before Goku was around. He was, he and his crew were genocidal murderers, and the Kais all fought and trapped them inside of a star? Which doesn't make any sense, but sure. Um, trapping them inside a planet would make more sense, but I think they said they trapped him in a star. Mm-hmm. And then somehow the star was destroyed when Goku blew up King Kai's planet in the fight with Cell. And because of this, Bojack is going to Earth to find Goku. They are never really, like... The only reason we know this, really, is because... Gohan is getting beat up by Bojack a little later. Like, no surprise, Bojack comes and starts beating up all the Z fighters. Bojack wants to meet, like, he says to Gohan that I have a message for your father, but you'll have to do. It's never really clear how Bojack figured out that Goku was the one who was behind him getting released. We never really have information about why Bojack has decided that now he's released, the first thing he needs to do is beat up Goku. It's really not clear why this movie is happening, except that they needed a movie to happen. 
but okay. Um, Bojack and his henchmen start fighting all the sea fighters. Gohan's trying to hold his own, but then Piccolo arrives to make his dad Piccolo entrance and is able to beat up some of the minions before getting beat up himself. Vegeta makes a rare dad entrance when Trunks is being beat up because, for questions I will ask later, uh... Trunks is, like, adult Trunks is in this tournament after going through, going back to the future and being up the androids in his timeline. Uh, he's being beat up by minions, so Vegeta makes the rare, cool Vegeta dad entrance variant of the Piccolo dad entrance. Uh, but then he does what Vegeta does best and get beat up by minions. Uh, Piccolo gets beat up. And actually, Gohan and Trunks are both beat up by Bojack, who's incredibly strong, apparently. Gohan is almost dead, so Goku pops in, like, he instant transmissions in, even though he's dead, saves Gohan, and gives Gohan the space to wake up so Gohan can tap into the fury inside of him and beat up Bojack. We end with Mr. Satan getting the credit again for his saving the Earth, Gohan being told by King Kai that King Kai knows he broke the rules, but, you know, it's good that Gohan was able to save the world. And that's basically the end of this movie. Yeah, it ends really abruptly. It does end. Like, my problem with Dragon Ball is usually, like, they just stall too much on the last stage of the fight where everybody gets beat up, and then it looks like they're going to win, and then they get a beat up, and it looks like they're going to win, and we get a little bit of this movie. But they... Like, as soon as Gohan taps into his inner, like, gets beat, taps into his inner fury, and then starts fighting, it's pretty much over. Yeah, the fight's over as soon as Gohan turns Super Saiyan 2. Like, he he one-shots two of Bojack's minions, just, comes, just rips them in half. Uh, and then the third, the, the girl minion gets killed by Bojack, because sure, why yeah, not? Yeah, that was weird. Um, but I, I do think it's pretty great, uh, the way they end it is nice, where Bojack's, like, like, he punches a hole in Bojack's stomach, yeah. and so he's like, oh, you've beaten me, but, like, no, I'll kill you, do you have any last words? <laughs> and Gohan's like, I got one that comes to mind, Kamehameha! Yeah, I, I do have to say I appreciated that breaking through, because... Part of my problem with Dragon Ball fights, and this was especially true in this movie, uh, anybody who's watched this movie will notice I gave basically no description of that fight except who gets beat up sometimes. And that's because this movie, even more than normal Dragon Ball, but it's kind of true of Dragon Ball as well and most of the movies, is that when the fighting starts, I kind of just file it in my head as filler, and I don't really remember what's happening. I watch the screen... But my brain just files it away as time that's being filled until someone actually does something because I know nothing is going to happen in the story or to the characters until the end. And so my brain files it away as shooty shooty pew pew. Yeah, there's very occasionally a Dragon Ball fight will actually have interesting character stuff happening during the fighting. Yeah. Um, and that's really what makes a great fight scene. Like, I could go on a whole tangent about it, and, I mean, you know, I, I don't have to tell you, because you also like action I movies, do. you know this. Like, despite my, like, downplaying of all the action in Dragon Ball, it might give the impression I don't like action movies, but, like, when Grant and I first started dating, we had a thing together where we'd watch a different kung fu movie every week. Yeah, but, like, 
Dragon Ball fighting does tend to just kind of be pretty colors moving around and not necessarily be engaging in the way that it tells us more about the characters or more about the struggle between the characters in their fight. Yeah. Which a good martial arts movie will do in an interesting way. Yeah, I think I've said it before on the podcast, but just in case I haven't, I feel like fight scenes are kind of the same as I've heard the descriptions of sex scenes, where if you do it wrong, both of those scenes are going to be two slabs of meat slapping against each other until it's over. But if you're able to do it correctly, you can actually use that time to move forward plot character, and that makes people care instead of it just being gratuitous. Yeah, and occasionally Dragon Ball will get it right. Right. Like, I've mentioned before, like, I feel like even though it dragged on for too long, certain parts of the Goku-Frieza fight had that. And, like, parts of, like, Goku versus Cell had that. There are definitely fights that have that, but so much of the fighting in this was, like, it was cool. Right. The reason I think of sex scenes is they're both things that are put into shows and movies because people think that people want them, but they just get so boring if nothing happens. Yeah, so like, I I appreciate what this movie was trying to do because this movie was definitely made to just be, let's give the cast of the Cell Saga uh-huh. one big bang. Yeah. Like, let's just give them one big well, fight. Well, and even like... Part of the value is this is a movie where even if he lends an assist, where Gohan is the star front and center, Gohan is the one who saves things, and it's not about what Goku is doing. Goku barely fights. Yeah. Goku contributes exactly one punch. But the thing is, I feel like even Goku gets that moment to shine because it's not just Goku throws one punch. It's Goku's Goku's love and concern for his son is so powerful that he can break through the veil between life and death. Which would be more powerful if the show's veil between life and death made sense, but yes. Yeah, but he can... Oh, you know, it's, it's a one-way thing, right? Like, he, when he's alive, he can cross over all he wants, but when he's dead, he can't. But even dead Goku is able to make that jump for just a split second to affect the material world for the moment to save his son. And that's cool. Like, that's a cool Goku moment. Yeah. Everybody got to do something cool in this movie. Except Yamcha, but that's not the point. Right, but I mean, even Yamcha got, like... A moment. Yeah, Yamcha got his fun moment. And the thing is, we do still get, like, Tien and Yamcha busting in and helping for a little bit. Yeah. It's, it's like, they there is at least some respect is given to Tien and Yamcha. Yeah. I really liked during the tournament section where Trunks and Tian are up against each other. And I think it's Tian just says like, hey, let's give him a good show. And Trunks is like, sure. Yeah. And they fight. And it's clear that Trunks is holding, like they both know Trunks is going to win, but Trunks holds back so they can have a fun sparring match first. Yeah. I really like that. Like that's yeah. a nice character moment. And I feel like they were trying to do some things in that fight. There were a couple of things I noticed like, uh, when Tien does his tri-beam, is that what he has? Mm-hmm. It does actually show it from the perspective of him looking through his fingers when he's doing the tri-beam and zeroing in on Trunks, so you get to see Trunks fighting through the lens of Tien aiming. Yeah. And that's a shot we haven't seen before. 
I'm pretty sure we saw it against Cell. Okay, we saw it against Cell. That's that's a that's a that's a pretty normal visual effect, or it's it's a visual effect that we've seen before for the tri beam, but it is still pretty cool. Yeah, and we don't really see it for other fighters. Is part no, of we it. don't. So it still stands out. Like we, it's not very often when I'm watching that I feel like I understand what's going on in the fighter's head, and I think that shot does a better job of establishing how Tien is thinking about it than a lot of times when we see the fight choreography in the show. Totally. And, like, obviously Piccolo got his awesome entrance moment, right? Like, Bojack Bojack pulls up, like, a key blast the size of a building and hurls it through, like, six skyscrapers at Gohan. And then at the last minute, a special beam cannon comes from off screen and derails it. Yeah. And then Piccolo's just, like, standing on the steeple of a church with his cape dramatically blowing in the wind. Like, that's awesome. And then he throws off his weighted training clothes and fights, yeah. Yeah, like, every, like... Yes, it's all surface level, but on the surface level, everybody got to do cool shit. Like, Vegeta's entrance is, like, there's a big explosion, and then Trunks's sword comes flying through the haze, and Trunks catches it and strings it up. Yeah. And then, like, Trunks like, Father, you came! And then Vegeta slowly rises out of the ground, like, leave them to me. Which is especially, uh, like... I feel like it should be more impactful, and this movie didn't quite know how to do it, because earlier in this movie, they established that Vegeta doesn't care about battle, and that since Kakarot has died, he hasn't cared. So, like, in a different movie, that would have been really, really cool from a character standpoint as well. Um, I want the, I want to take the outline of this movie yeah. and give it to the team that did the My Hero Academia movies. Mm. Because... In a lot of ways, this movie reminded me of Heroes Rising in Mm -hmm. that it was a movie where every single one of the principal cast got a moment to shine. Yeah. But... But they had no idea how to structure it. Yeah. It just... It all ended up just turning into noise, whereas I feel like that movie did a really good job of giving every member of Class 1A a really memorable moment. Well, but one other thing that that movie did is that it did a really good job of establishing the villain, which this did not do. Bojack Bojack doesn't come in until like halfway through the movie, and even when he does, we have no idea why he's doing anything. Yeah, he's and like his motivation is is just that he likes killing. Well, and what is... Like, who is he as a person? Like, he's just a murder machine. We don't know, like... I almost wish that they told us that he collects antique pens or something. Give me a thing that he has. Make him a pirate, honestly. Like, make him an explorer. Wouldn't a pirate possibly be interested in the planet that has Dragon Balls? Right, or... That's the biggest booty of all, Dragon Booty. No, that's what Krillin thinks. Um... (laughs) Because Krillin's first response to seeing a space woman from outer space is, in fact, space chicks are hot. But we don't know anything about him. And so he's just there until he gets beat up and then he's gone. Yeah, I this movie gets a lot of credit. This movie is generally remembered in the fandom as one of the better Dragon Ball movies. Yeah. And like, I kind of get it. I don't understand this. I kind of get it in that everybody gets to do cool shit. Like the thing that we didn't mention in the summary is that when everyone's fighting their own separate Bojack minion, uh, 
like they obviously watched each fighter and picked which one they wanted to fight because Trunks got to fight their Trunks. Yeah. Because he fights a guy who has the kind of like floofy spiky hair and a sword and like a similar jacket and everything. And it's like, it's just so funny. That's like, wait a minute. You're their Trunks, aren't you? And so, like, Trunks gets to have, like, a pretty cool skirmish with this dude, and Trunks is the only one of the four that actually kills his minion before Bojack shows up. Yeah. So, like, each individual character gets some kind of cool fight scenes, but it doesn't come together into a cohesive movie. No. And it definitely feels like two separate movies smooshed together. Because the tournament has nothing to do with... The fighting well, at the end. And the tournament has a really weird feel to it. Like, maybe people who watch the original Dragon Ball can tell me that this felt more like the original Dragon Ball, or maybe it didn't. But, like, for one thing, the translation was just obviously there. I mean, not only is the character Excess Cash and his son Monty, which is just what Americans think is a rich person name, putting together a weird rich person tournament for his son's birthday because his son's psychiatrist said it, which is an acknowledgement that psychiatrists exist in this world and that Gohan should have one. That is the biggest lore bomb of this movie, is that psychi- the, the the field of mental health does exist. But It's even just like, Gohan doesn't have... I guess Chi-Chi doesn't believe in it. Well, even just that the... Like, this seems so little, but the, the reporters... And I know this is 90s... Uh, 90s, early 2000 anime all over because kids, I swear it used to be that Ash Ketchum ate donuts. Um, But the reporters are named Kim and Tony. Mm -hmm. And it's just like such a weird feeling segment. I don't even know if I can describe what was so off-putting about it, but there was something about just like how it felt like a very different show. Because it was just so... I don't even know. Moneyed? <laughs> yeah. Stupid? Was, uh, I mean, I know this show is stupid, but it's kind of stupid in a different way. I, re- I really wish I could have seen the way this script came together. Yeah, because then the second half is definitely Dragon Ball. It feels much more like Dragon Ball, but somehow with everything intelligent about Dragon Ball taken out. <laughs> yeah, I, I will say that I think part of the reason why this movie is so well regarded is because in a lot of ways it is just an encapsulation of everything about Dragon Ball in an hour and a half. Yeah. You get a tournament, right? And you get everyone sizing each other up for the tournament. You get friendly sparring in the tournament. You get some not so friendly sparring in the tournament. And that's fun. You even get a little bit of Chi Chi and Bulma both rooting for their respective sons and then Which having like also the electric felt exactly glare like at each the other. Tournament. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it, has all of that and then like oh no a big strong space villain shows up with a vague motivation king kai freaks out everyone comes together to try to fight him piccolo makes a dramatic entrance vegeta acts like he doesn't care but he actually does everybody fights everyone gets the shit beaten out of him and then just when it looks like things are the darkest goku shows up and he helps a little bit and then there's a big beam clash and the villain dies right and so it's like if you needed to show ever if you needed to explain the essence of Dragon Ball to somebody in one piece, this would be the one to do it. But, but I if, think But if you watched it, you'd guarantee that they wouldn't watch the show. <gasps> yeah, it's it's all of it checks all the boxes, but it's missing it's missing the heart. Yeah. Which 
I don't feel like we can we have said about any of the other movies. Yeah. No, there's... even even like Broly that you didn't like. Uh-huh. I still think Broly had the spirit of Dragon Ball in it, even if it resulted in a meh movie. Yeah, and even if some of them have weird things that are not Dragon Ball-y, like giant supercomputer robots. I feel like uh, they're on the show Wonderfalls, at one point a woman describes the guy she married as uh, the man of her list, and she realizes she needs to divorce him because like he checked off all the boxes, but she doesn't love him. Mm-hmm. That's this movie. Yeah, it it does kind of feel like it's just somebody went down a checklist of what Dragon Ball needs, but the characters aren't there. No, not really. Like, the characters aren't there. The characters are there in very, very brief moments. Well, and the characters are there to, like, once again, sometimes check off the boxes. Like, we got Roshi perving. We got Krillin perving. We got Krillin making a bald joke and being sad that the other fighters are stronger than him cool like they're all themselves enough to say a line but not for it to inform how they act yeah i just because like 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 krillin has the line about how like oh yeah space chicks are hot and then that kind of felt like an obligatory like oh well we just finished an arc where krillin fell in love with a female opponent so now krillin has to be attracted to a female opponent because that's what krillin like that's krillin's mo now yeah which like Honestly, I feel like that moment was really out of character mm-hmm. because we are and the, you you have you said while it was happening and you are correct that the show didn't necessarily execute it in the best way. But we are meant to believe that the reason he is so fixated on 18 and, you know, thinks maybe 18 can be a good person and like just generally acts so weird toward her is because there's a real connection between the two of them and they really like there is a spark that turns into a real genuine love between the two of them. Right. And so I don't believe that would happen with any old hourglass figure that showed up in the arena. I mean, at this point, all he knows is that um, for one thing, 18 isn't there. We don't know like if he's seen her again since she left, if he thinks he'll ever see her again, she's just not there. Um, and he doesn't know that this is an evil space alien. At this point, he just knows that it's a space chick who has come in to fight for the tournament. So all he knows, she's a probably good or at least will fight for money, not necessarily evil space chick who likes fighting like he does. Not going to hold yeah, that I, against him. I just don't believe that he would actually say that out loud. Yeah, I don't think anyone should. If it had been like a monolo- an inner monologue of like, oh, she's kind of cute. And then she hits him, and he's like, "Oh shit, never mind, not cute." Yeah. Then like, oh, that'd be that. Fun. That'd be funny, but instead, he just out, just out loud blurts out, "Space chicks are hot." Yeah, Krillin, didn't twelve years quite, old. I believe that on a Yamcha. Yeah. If that was Yamcha, hundred percent. Oh, obviously Roshi. Roshi would have said something even more pig pigheaded. Yeah. But I believe that on a Yamcha. I I feel like with Krillin, it felt like. Krillin did this once, therefore he's always going to do it, which I think is not giving Krillin enough credit as a character. Which is, you know, hard to do. I think this movie also, though, highlighted something that I should have thought of a while ago, and I am frustrated as a missed opportunity. We have a line here when Gohan is fighting after Goku has revived him. He says, 
I'm my father's son to explain how he's tapping into his rage. And we've talked a lot on this show about, like, the the Mufune Goku, where he taps into this quiet rage and is able to fight. And that is kind of what Gohan's tapping into here. But I wish there was another universe's version of Dragon Ball, where Gohan's problem really is that he can't tap into his rage, right? Mm-hmm. That that's really inaccessible to him, and I'm guessing he never learned it from Goku, because Goku only gets it in fits and starts when the cards are really down, and he's not really in a teaching mood right then. Do you know who has a lot of rage all the time and is always in a teaching mood? Mm-hmm. He, like, why is he not his mother's son? Why don't we have the alternate universe version of Chi-Chi, where Goku's like, Hey, Chi-Chi, our son needs to learn some rage. What are you talking about? Why would I have rage? I don't have rage. And he's like, that. Teach him that. I want that scene. Or like, I mean, yeah, that'd be great. But like, even if we want to still stay inside Toriyama's little box, like, if we want to stay inside Toriyama's little box where women aren't allowed to do things, Vegeta's also right there. Vegeta's also right there. But I mean, like... And also would have been an interesting arc for Gohan where he has to learn how to tap into his anger from Vegeta, but also learn how to temper it from Goku. And then, like, Piccolo also is teaching him discipline, and he ends up being kind of an amalgam of, like, the best parts of those three fighters would also be interesting. That would be interesting. I I think it's that, though, I will always want to see, and I understand this is not the world we live in, this is not how Toriyama writes, I'd love to see the world where Gohan gets to be a collection of both of his parents and the fighting Mm -hmm. spirit that drew them together. Yeah. But no. Unfortunately, no. But you're right. That would make the most sense because it is is what drew them together, what drew Goku and Chi-Chi together. And it just doesn't quite make sense. No. Uh, But, I mean, that's a whole other discussion on how Toriyama just tanks all of his female characters as soon as they become wives, but that's another topic. Um, I've got some questions about this movie, and I want to see if you can answer them. Yeah, throw them at me. Why is Future Trunks here? So, I, I feel like they they pretty effectively hand-waved this, because there is a line, Bulma has a throwaway line about how he had mentioned to her that he went back to his time and beat the androids in his time. Right, and she follows it up with, if I wasn't here to watch him in the tournament, I wouldn't get a chance to see him. Yeah, so if you'll recall, the epilogue that we got after the Cell saga was Trunks beats the androids in his time, draws Cell out of hiding, and destroys Cell. And he still has the time machine. Right. So... I would believe that after, like, this slots weirdly into canon where actually this movie does fit in the Dragon Ball canon. For once, it does have a spot in the timeline where it fits. Yeah, so he he did all that stuff and then hopped back in the time machine and went back to the present to be like, hey guys, just thought you'd want to know, I beat the androids, like, I succeeded, thanks for your help, and then this intergalactic tournament was announced while he happened... He somehow caught wind of it and was like, oh, cool. I'll come back for that, too. That'll be like one last thing we can all do as a group. After that, I should probably get back to my time. But 
that can be just like a low pressure way we can all fight and spar and have a good time. And that'll kind of be my last hurrah. Right. If it was framed as Trunks' last hurrah, for one thing, that's a not the best last hurrah for Trunks. But Trunks is consistently underutilized, so maybe it's the perfect last hurrah for Trunks. But why doesn't he then just keep jumping back and forth and helping the Z fighters with whatever? Yeah, I think it's just that operating the time machine is costly. But I don't know. There's never really a good explanation for why future Trunks doesn't show up more often. Right, and so it would make more sense if after he beats Cell in their timeline and then beats Cell in his timeline, he doesn't mess with the timeline anymore. But this movie makes it clear that that's not the case. Yeah, it's unclear. I don't I don't have a good answer for that part, but it does at least make sense in the timeline of the show. Yeah. I kind of wish they had dug more into... This is not a question, but I wish they had dug more into Vegeta's fighting spirit being gone, but whatever. Um... Why is Satan surprised by the Z fighters being in this tournament and moving on in the tournament? I think the better question is retroactively, why was he surprised when they showed up again at the World Martial Arts Tournament a couple yeah, of years I've later? Seen, I've taken for granted that he this this retroactively makes the World Martial Arts Tournament make zero sense. But But I think he just assumed that the Z fighters were weird country bumpkins because he'd never met them before. And so now it's like, oh, they aren't weird country bumpkins. They actually come to the big old city to fight in tournaments. I guess. But didn't he see them? Like, he didn't see them in the first round. Or then in the World's Martial Arts Tournament, he didn't get the list of fighters beforehand. Okay, just Mr. Satan, whatever. Um, Who's his lizard friend? In this whole I don't movie, know. Mr. Satan had a lizard friend who was holding, like, a little Mr. Satan stuffed animal a lot of the time. Yeah, Mr. Satan just has a weird lizard on his shoulder the entire movie, and it's never explained, and I'm pretty sure it's never seen again. But is he allowed out of his tower, and does Mother Gothel use his hair to keep herself young? <laughs> they do mention that his hair is probably fake at the end of the movie. Yeah. Why was Piccolo in the tournament at all? That's really unclear. As soon uh, as he gets in the... like. You know, money, fighting prowess, the fun of all of that. That would make sense, except that when he gets in the fight with Krillin, he says, screw this, and just leaves. Yeah, it's really unclear why Piccolo's in this tournament. Because if it's like, oh, okay, I got matchup against Krillin, that sucks. Like, he would know that he's probably going to eventually be matched up against either Gohan or Trunks. Yeah. Who he would see as a worthy sparring partner. Yeah. And so it doesn't make any sense that he's like, Krillin, I'm outie. When it's like, okay, that just means you can beat Krillin and then go fight either Trunks or Gohan. Although, actually, then that in retrospect kind of makes more sense. If he knew the rules of the tournament that they'd be put in four separate spaces, that means that he will not get to fight anyone interesting for the rest of this tournament. I guess that's true. But then why doesn't he just fight Gohan at home? I don't know. Maybe, maybe like Gohan, maybe it was that Gohan was like, Mr. Piccolo, you should join the tournament. And he's like, eh, that's not my scene. He's like, no, 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 come on. It'll be fun. Why don't like, we get that scene? Like Krillin's joining, Trunks is joining, I'm joining, blah, blah, blah. And like, he managed to talk Piccolo into, hey, it'll be fun. And then Piccolo got there and was like, man, Gohan was wrong. This fucking sucks. I would love that. And I, I know I talked about it before, but why, what is with the, like, why didn't they bother explaining Bojack and Goku? 
Because he says, now give your father a message for me. Does he know that Goku's dead? Does he want, like, what is happening here? The best no prize I've got for that is that he was sealed away inside a star. Right, before Goku was we, born. But we never hear anything about his minions. True. And the seal on his prison was broken when King Kai died. Right. So maybe his minions, after he escaped, filled him in on like, hey, this Goku guy died and took King Kai with him. Which then asked the follow-up question of how did his minions gather those details, but... Or maybe even from inside his prison, he still could see what was happening, and so he was he just saw it all happen from inside his prison. It's unclear. Yeah. Okay. I think that's all I've got. I think, I think, I think that's the most discussion you can really have about this movie. Um, yeah, so thank you all for listening. This is BoJack Unbound. This episode was made possible by the generous donations of our listeners to the Gohan and Rory Fund, which has had a recent overhaul. So if you go to our WordPress site, gilmoreballz.wordpress.com, and go to the Gohan and Rory Fund tab, you can find instructions on what the fund is, what it does, and how to donate. Basically, we have a handful of charities, including Room to Read, which helps literacy in developing countries, uh, the Hispanic Federation, which just sort of helps issues affecting Hispanic and Latinx people all across the world. Uh, also, at the moment, anything that affects the, any of the top charity navigator charities to help either research or aid or whatever around the COVID-19 epidemic. And charities and bail funds and whatnot supporting the Black Lives Matter movement all fall under the umbrella here of the Gohan and Rory Fund. So if you donate to any of those charities, and there are links to them on the WordPress page, and then email us a just a screen cap of your donation confirmation to gilmoreballzy at gmail.com, we will match your donation to whichever charity you, you chose, and then it will be added on to our bonus episodes. So we've got this. We've got Bunheads coming up next, the TV series that Amy Sherman Palladino made after Gilmore Girls. We're going to watch the pilot. Yeah, she made a couple, but this is one of them. Yeah. And then uh, after that is Super Android 13. So we're actually going to go backwards and do the Super Android 13 movie, uh, which will give us some more future trunks, which is always good. And we're only a couple dollars away from funding Jenny's Wedding, which is a movie that had to have a... Indiegogo campaign for its post-production where Katherine Heigl and Alexis Bledel play closeted lesbian girlfriends. It is apparently horrible. I'm so excited. So that's what's on the slate coming up. But if you're interested, you should go check it out, see what we've got going on right now, and donate if you are able. We really appreciate the generosity that our listeners have put forward. Uh, in When you count our matching and then other matching programs that have happened over the, the years that we've been doing the fund, the total impact is over $2,000, which I think is pretty cool for a dinky little podcast like this. Yeah. So with all of that, thank you all for listening. Thank you all for donating. And we will see you next Saturday for our regularly scheduled programming.